If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Friends will try to encourage you in time of trouble, but no one can truly comfort you like someone who has gone through the same experience. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares more about this truth and why God might allow pain into your life so that you can be a true comfort to someone else. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Lonely Son. Well, the son we're talking about is a, is the son whose name was Joseph. And uh, Joseph was sort of uh, snatched out of Jacob's family and walked alone most of his life. He was sold by his brothers to a bunch of slave traders, ended up in Egypt, where the language was different, the culture was different. He was a Hebrew, they were Egyptians. Ended up in prison, as we know. And through it all, God was maturing him. And there's a psalm that says, uh, he was laid in irons, it says. But really, uh, the text means iron was laid in him. Iron came into his soul. Joseph went into prison, a fine young man. He came out of prison, an iron soul leader. That's what prison did for him. He didn't get bitter. He got better. And God used him then to run the entire nation of Egypt. It's truly an incredible story. And um, we'll get to uh, the second part of this message in just a moment. But first, let me just remind you again that uh, we're coming to your area if you live in Florida or in Texas. We're coming to Tampa, Florida on October the 5th to the Yingling Center. We're coming to Jacksonville, Florida on October the 7th to the Star Veterans Memorial Arena. And then October the 26th, we're coming to Houston, Texas, to the Berry Center, and October the 28th to Fort Worth, Texas, to Dickey's Arena. We've chosen Florida and Texas because they've been more aggressive in opening up uh, their culture, and many of you now are going to football games and baseball games and soccer games. The arenas are open to their full extent, and there's no reason why you can't come to a rally, so I hope you'll do it. Here's how you make plans to do that. Go to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org slash tour. You can order your tickets online. They will be emailed to you, and you will be prepared to join us on one of these nights near you. We hope you will begin to do that. Order your tickets as soon as you can get orders together. Make sure you bring your friends, your family, people from your church, from the places where you live. Uh, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. It will be a great time, all kinds of great music, visuals. You won't believe what we're doing this year for our rallies. I hope you'll be a part of it. Well, let's get back to our discussion today. We're talking about um, the lonely son. The man's name is Joseph. He's in prison. Genesis 40. Let's begin. Apart from the Lord himself... 
There's not anybody that I know of who experienced more unfair treatment than Joseph. He stands out as a classic example of one who was repeatedly mistreated. He obeyed his father by going the extra mile from Shechem to Dothan as a result of that. And for a reward, he was thrown into a pit and then sold to a group of traveling slave traders. He stood faithful to God and kept his purity and his morality. And as a reward for that, he was slandered by Potiphar's wife and thrown into a dungeon. While in the dungeon, he faithfully told the story of one man's dream and the man promised to remember him, but the scripture says when he got back to the kingdom, he forgot him. He helped the butler and he was forgotten by him for two full years. It seems as if no matter what Joseph does, no matter how good he is, all he ever seems to get for his good behavior is pain and misery. But will you notice that there is not one shred of evidence that Joseph ever complained? In verse 15, he does relate the injustice of his situation to the butler, but it is not a complaint. It is simply a statement of the fact. Instead of getting bitter and angry at God, Joseph allowed God to use this experience to make him better. As you look back on Joseph's life, it's not hard to realize that he probably had a very soft life as a child. While his brothers were out working, Joseph was walking around home in his long white coat. They were working hard and slaving, and Joseph was living the life of a prince. If God was going to use Joseph, he would have to toughen him up. He would have to make him ready to be the prime minister of Egypt during a worldwide famine that would surely require a strong man. And the psalmist alludes to this hardening process. In Psalm 105 and verse 17 and 18, we read this about Joseph. That... God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons. The marginal reading translates the last phrase of that verse like this. His soul came into iron. And I read an old English translation that has it this way. Iron entered into his soul. When Joseph came out of prison, he was an iron-souled man. He was a man of great wisdom and courage and determination. He acts every bit like a born leader when he ascends to the high place of government in Egypt. By himself, he carries a nation that is foreign to him through a terrible, terrible famine without even one sign of revolt. He was prepared for the hardship of famine because he had experienced the pain of prison. God wants and needs iron saints today. And the only way iron ever gets into our souls is when God lets us suffer a little bit and hurt a little bit and go through problems that just cry out from our human perspective. And God makes us strong through suffering. Scripture says it this way, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them who are exercised thereby. I was given a copy of a book written by Florence Bull entitled, God Wants You Rich and Other Enticing Doctrines. And in the book, she makes this very valuable statement. She says, the deception in the success prosperity doctrine is subtle. It sounds so spiritual to assert that we cannot be sick or fail if we trust God, and that he will reward us for faith and giving and being good by making us rich in material things. But this was not the message of the early church fathers, 
nor was it the message of the men and women of faith who throughout history set church and nation aflame with revival. The more we pursue such poppycock, she wrote, the more likely we will end up like pampered children. Getting everything we want won't turn us into soldiers for Christ. We may wear a tailored suit with gold buttons and hash marks, but we will be no more soldiers than the six-year-old with his feet shoved in his dad's old combat boots carrying a wooden gun. Unchecked, the prosperity success syndrome will not see Christians developing together into a vigorous, stout-hearted, indomitable church. Rather, it will reduce the body of Christ to spiritual flabbiness. End of quote. And that's biblical. That's true. Bible nowhere tells us that we will walk from the cradle to the grave, avoiding problems in the process. Problems are God's gift to us sometimes to make us strong, to put iron in our souls. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we try to help others in their time of difficulty? And if we are not careful, we actually abort the process God intended for their growth. If Reuben, for instance, had made good on his intentions to get Joseph out of the pit and returned him to his father, Joseph would have missed out on the entire ministry God had in store for him. If Potiphar had rescued Joseph from the tortures of prison, Joseph would never have met the one man that would lead him into greatness. The problems were simply the avenues that God used to bring him from where he was to where God wanted him to be. And in the process, he fired his soul with steel so he could face the challenges that were ahead. Problems promote our maturity. Thirdly, that when problems come, problems prove our integrity. Our character, if it is genuine, is never altered by the circumstances. There's a lot of misunderstanding about that. But let me tell you, Joseph, above all, was a man of great character. And nothing so exemplifies our character like the way in which we face difficulties. Character is often confused for reputation, but there is a vast difference. Reputation, you see, is what others suppose we are. Character is what we really are. Reputation is what men think you are. Character is what God knows you are. Reputation is what is chiseled on your tombstone. Character is what the angels say about you before the throne of God. And character never changes when the circumstances change. Because, you see, problems prove our integrity. I hear people say once in a while, but the situation made me this way. Oh, no. The situation revealed the way you were. And when we face the difficulties of life, it is a wonderful opportunity for God to use us to demonstrate the reality and the integrity of our character before others. Fourth, problems produce a sense of dependency. In verses 20 and 21, we read, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Everywhere Joseph went, God went with him. You see, the only thing that can separate you from God is not circumstances, but sin. As long as you keep your life pure and holy and righteous before the Lord, God is obligated to follow you or go before you wherever you end up. But sin separates between you and God. Sin breaks fellowship. So whatever your problems might be, make sure you're righteous and holy before God and you have God's guarantee that whether it's in prison or in a pit or in a palace, God will go with you. He is obligated to go with those who walk with him. And he is in prison with Joseph. Griffith Thomas has written these lines that link Joseph's power to God's presence. Listen to what he wrote. 
He said the secret of Joseph's power was the consciousness of the presence of God. God had not forgotten him, though it might have seemed to him that it was the case. The very incident that was apparently the most injurious was the link used by God to bring about Joseph's exaltation. To the man who is sure that he is in the pathway of God's will, there will come the consciousness of the divine presence and blessing which will be an unspeakable comfort as he rests in the Lord and waits patiently for him. Evil may have its temporary victories, but they are only temporary. Good and right and truth must prevail, and it is for the servants of God to wait quietly, to go forward humbly, to live faithfully, and to trust boldly until God shall justify them by His divine interposition and glorify His grace in their lives. You know what Joseph found out while he was in prison? He found out how much God loved him. And how many times people have told me when they've gone through family problems or marital problems or financial problems or physical problems, how many times the testimony has been the same? Pastor, I knew that God loved me and I've always felt close to Him, but I have never in my days known the fellowship that I have known in this pressure cooker. God has been with me. Sometimes problems come into our lives to show us how dependent we are upon the Lord. And you know, in this society in which you and I live, where we hear so much of self-sufficiency and you can make it and you can do it and you're going to be all right and dream and reach for the stars and there's nothing beyond your reach and all of that, sometimes if we are not careful, we can get to think that we don't need the Lord quite as much as we used to. And just when we get to that point, you know what happens? God puts us in prison for a while so that we can be reminded how dependent upon Him we really are. Problems produce a sense of dependency. When you get a chance, read Psalm 139. Sometimes I hear that psalm preached as if people were running from God and they couldn't get away from Him. But the psalm is really written to remind us that no matter where we go, whether it's in the heavens or in the deeps, below, whether at sea or in the sky, no matter where we may be taken by the circumstances of our life, God is there. Whither shall I flee from His presence? <laughs> and problems make us sensitive to that, don't they? When we're in the midst of problems, we sense how dependent we are upon the Lord. Now let me give you the fifth one. Problems prepare our hearts for ministry. I want you to read with me verses 6 and 7 of the 40th chapter. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? I read that and it just jumped off the page at me. Here is a prisoner unjustly in prison. He didn't do anything to deserve where he was. He should have, by virtue of his situation, been wrapped up in self-pity and wondering what in the world God was doing to allow him to be in such a sorry circumstance. But instead of that, we see the sufferer serving. Look at his words. Notice that he sees their sad faces. He is sensitive, loving, sympathetic. He initiates the conversation. He ministers to the prisoners. And I have written down in my notes that there is no ministry to the sufferer like the sufferer's ministry to others. And that is true. Isn't it Paul who wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that we comfort others with the comfort wherewith we ourselves have been comforted? 
when we are put into the difficulties of life and problems come to us, usually what happens as the result of that is we are made so sensitive to other people around us who have had similar difficulties or similar problems. Suffering makes you reach out to others. Suffering brings about a heart for ministry. How are we as men and women of God to reach out to a hurting, dying, crying out world that faces all of the problems of humanity if we have never walked through the veil ourselves? How are we ever to put our arms around a brother who has gone through disappointment, bereavement, if we have never experienced it ourselves? It is sometimes necessary for us to be able to say to someone, I know how you feel. Shortly after, my wife and I went to Haddon Heights, New Jersey, out of seminary. I was on summer duty, so to speak. The senior pastor was gone, and I was in charge. I thought that was pretty great till I found out all that went along with the job. One afternoon, I got a call from Ocean City telling us that they wanted us to rush there quickly. One of our young couples had a little 10-month-old baby and were driving to the ocean, and that baby aspirated. And before they could get the baby to the hospital, it had lost enough oxygen. It was lying in the hospital on life support system. And Donna and I went to that hospital and stayed for almost three days with that couple, crying with them, praying with them, hoping with them. And ultimately, the child died. And that was the very first funeral I ever had in my life. But four months before that, as we had prayed and as we had cried out to God for children and four or five years had gone by and we hadn't had any children, Donna told me one day the good news that she was with child. And we were so excited. And I remember one day coming back from a speaking trip we lived in a little upstairs apartment, and she knocked on the window as I was going toward the church office and motioned for me to come up, and I went upstairs. When I walked in, she was in tears, just broken. She said, honey, we're going to lose the baby. It wasn't but a few hours, and what she said was true. I know that's not like losing a child that you've known, but it hurt worse than anything we had ever faced as a couple. And I remember that we just held each other and laid on the bed and cried and cried and cried. I could talk to that couple in Ocean City. I knew a little bit about what they felt. I couldn't go the whole route and explain it all. But when they cried and talked of their loss, I knew it. Sometimes we have problems because God wants to get us ready so we can help somebody else. And that's what happened to Joseph. Joseph, from his prison experience, became a servant of the whole world, standing day after day, administering grain to the hungry people. Where did he learn that? God broke his heart in prison and made a servant out of him. So, you know, problems have advantages. They provide us with greater opportunities if we look for the possibilities in our problems. They promote our spiritual maturity if we let them make us better and not bitter. They prove our integrity because character is not a factor of circumstance. They produce a sense of dependency as we learn that our power is connected to the presence of the Lord. And they prepare our hearts for ministry so that in our sufferings we serve. And it was like that for Howard Rutledge, too. As he was in prison, God took him through the experiences to bring to him lessons he could never have learned.
It was in prison that he learned the power of prayer. He writes, words don't come easy when I pray, but even when we amateurs discovered in prison the incredibly powerful force prayer can be in our lives, I learned I could talk to God any place, dangling from a parachute or shackled in a cesspool. I learned in prison that he could hear me, whether in worship with a crowd of men or alone in solitary confinement. Why did God put Howard Rutledge in prison? He needed to teach him to pray. And it was in prison that Howard Rutledge learned the importance of the church. Listen to what he writes. I was shot down in Vietnam as a church dropout, disinterested in the Christian faith. I would return to freedom, aware of God, and anxious to stay in fellowship with Him. I promised God that the first Sunday of my return to freedom, I would take my family to their home church, and at the close of the service, I would walk to the front, confess my faith in Christ, and take my responsible place as a member there with my family. In prison, I had learned what it means to be isolated, struggling to build my faith alone. I had resolved never to be outside the community of Christian believers again. God put Howard Rutledge in prison to teach him how to pray and to teach him the importance of the local church. And God put Howard Rutledge in prison to teach him about the Bible. Listen to what he says. The first New Year's Eve in Heartbreak Hotel, I had resolved never to be without a Bible again. Those verses of God's Word that I had memorized or that I had scrounged from other prisoners' memories had been a living source of strength in my life. I was determined to begin applying God's Word in our family's life together, even in the smallest things. You never know what you're missing till you're totally deprived of it. And then it was in prison that God taught Howard Rutledge the importance of his family. He writes in one passage in his book, One memory that especially haunted me was a trip to El Paso that I had made with Phyllis and the children. I was feeling guilty for paying them so little attention, and so to compensate, I offered them money to buy any Mexican merchandise they desired. I showed my son John the beautiful leather goods, the elaborate stone chess sets, and the colorful pleasant shirts and sandals. He chose a rather amateurish sketch of Jesus in a rough wooden frame. I had offered him anything, and when he chose that ugly picture, I plainly showed my disappointment. And every time in prison, he wrote, that I recalled my thoughtless, insensitive reaction, I got a knot in my stomach. Here my son was already showing interest in something more than baseball and routine chores. He was sending me signals loud and clear, and I missed them. And I wondered how many signals I must have missed from Phyllis and Sandra and Peggy and Barbara, as well as from John. I was too busy doing other things to really be a dad. How I regretted those late-night cocktail parties that seemed strategic to my life. And I decided in Vietnam in prison that if I were ever free again, I would listen and understand and try to show spiritual leadership in my home and with my family. Why does God put people in prison? Our prisons may not be in Vietnam, filled with the torture of physical suffering. But my brother and sister, God puts you through problems so that you can learn. He puts me in problems so I can grow. I don't like them. I, in my human self, run from them, but they catch up with me. And when in the midst of them, God uses them to make me the kind of man he wants me to be. I found a prayer. I want to read this prayer. It's my prayer, and I want it to be yours. Choose for us, Lord, nor let our weak preferring cheat us of good thou hast for us designed. Choose for us, Lord, thy wisdom is unerring, and we are fools and blind. Let us press on in patient self-denial, accept the hardship, shrink not from the loss. Our portion lies beyond the hour of trials and our crown beyond the cross. 
The poet has said, don't run from the pressures God wants to use to make you his perfect example of Christ-likeness. Oh, we want the crown, but we don't want the cross. We want Easter without Good Friday. We want all the gain without the pain. But God will not have it so. And in our lives individually, and in our families, and in our church, God can take these problems and make us better if we cooperate with Him. You know, uh, it's so hard to get perspective on problems when you're in the middle of them. But usually when you're on the other side of them and you look back, you can see one or two things that you realize God was doing. I know that all of us experienced that with uh, COVID-19 during the pandemic, when we were shut away, when we were locked down, when we couldn't go anywhere, when our churches were not open to us and our schools were closed. We were frustrated and sometimes we got upset and lost our patience. But looking back now, we see that God did some things, some things that would not have happened without that. I hope you are introspective enough to know that. Certainly that was true for Joseph. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about the lonely soldier. Here's another man in the Bible who went through loneliness. His name was Paul, and he also spent some time in prison. Isn't that interesting? We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. I'm David Jeremiah. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you send us your personal story of Turning Point's impact? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, God Has Not Forgotten You, and learn to trust the Lord in times of uncertainty. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Overcoming Loneliness here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. 
There is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be? If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. 